Hey, GG peeps. This episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast is brought to you by Alchemy RPG, the world's first virtual tabletop built specifically for cinematic immersion and theater of the mind gameplay. With their focus on scene-based structure and dynamic audio integration, game masters and players alike are empowered to tell incredible stories together with animated environments, ambient sound, and multiple integrated TTRPG systems, indie and otherwise. The folks at Alchemy created their VTT because they love role-playing games, but were frustrated with the tools available for bringing their games online. Role-playing isn't about staring at tokens on a tactical grid. It's about creating a shared imaginative space full of authenticity, inclusion, and creativity. With functionality such as integrated voice and video, Alchemy allows you to do just that, no matter where you are. Backed and partnered with indie tabletop giants such as Chepiku, Hitpoint Press, and Loot Tavern, Alchemy is the future of online virtual tabletops. Check the link in our show notes to sign up for a free 14-day trial, then $8 a month or $88 for the whole year, less a month than the price of a Kool-Aid-themed D20. Check it out. Watch, he'll he'll cut out all of the delay of us typing things mm-hmm. and leave in the part where we're like, Scott is great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or you know however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So, uh, patreon.com slash goblins growlers, uh, and we'll see y'all soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on Discord and Blue Sky. Uh, I'm Brandon Dingus at Way of Brandalore on many places. I'm just going to start keeping these evergreen and say, look for me. <laughs> look for me under that handle. If you can't find me on a particular platform, it's because somebody else took it uh, instead. And so I just moved on to the next one. <laughs> um, how are you doing uh, this week, Josh? Oh, Lord, I'm so tired. There's so much going on. There's uh-huh. way too much going on. Uh-huh. Well, and I... Go ahead. I didn't even go to a convention this past weekend. So yeah, I was gonna say, I'm, I was gonna say, let's not let's not dig too deep into how tired we are, so Scott doesn't message us like I had to cut out the first five minutes because you guys were just bitching about being exhausted. No, as, again, again, the one time Scott gave us a hard time about that was when we lost all audio except for the first three minutes, and you were like, "Is it a publishable three minutes?" And he's like, "It's you all talking about how tired you are." So no, not really. Yeah. That could have been some exclusive content, but, um, but yes, yes. I'm exhausted because I went to a con over the weekend and walked about 30 miles over the course of like three days. It felt like, um, I was at PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia and funny, funny story about Philadelphia for me is in my entire life, I had never gone to the city of Philadelphia. And in the last six months, I've been there three times. Amazing. I went in June for too many games. I went in September for a work conference. And then I went back last weekend for PAX Unplugged. Um, Holy smokes. PAX Unplugged was a wild experience. I got to meet a ton of people. And I'm sure we'll get to talk about that. If, If not this episode, then in a very near future episode. But part of the reason... Uh, that Josh has so elegantly uh, woven this into the conversation is it's because of PAX Unplugged that we are changing the plan for this episode, which you probably noticed when you saw the title of it in your podcatcher of choice. Um, I believe last time, because we recorded the last couple of episodes like well in advance because we had a bunch of stuff going on, uh, we said we were going to talk about uh, Project Black Flag and the Tales of the Valiant from Cobalt Press, and uh, that is not this episode. Because, oh, go ahead. Oh, you sound like you're going to say still, something. We are still going to talk about those things because I have lots of thoughts and mm-hmm. and rage to get out. But, uh, but not this day. Pressing things. But day, not this day. A day of wolves and shattered shields when we talk about <laughs> third party publishers. Um, 
but uh, it's, it's funny because uh, as I was going around the expo hall, meeting a bunch of people um, on Saturday, uh, I was uh, chatting with uh, Hitpoint Press. And then all of a sudden, uh, the D&D socials blew up because like downstairs, they were doing a panel uh, for like it. Was, and it's bizarre because it's, you know, it's, you know, PAX Unplugged is a tabletop convention, but the D&D announcement panel was only an hour, which I thought was kind of weird. So you had like Jeremy Crawford and Chris Perkins and some other people up there on stage just trying to cram all this stuff in in an hour. Um, so I feel really bad for like the JR Zombranos of the world uh, who <laughs> who had to be in there like. <laughs> furiously trying to listen to all this but you know obviously it was streamed and everything so you could go back and watch it or, or anything but so i'm standing there talking to, the, to those guys at hit point and just all of a sudden it's like oh yep yep they're releasing a vecna game yep yep um and just went on with uh, and it was the whole 2024 um release slate or at least what we believe is the whole 2024 release slate i mean i don't think they're gonna slide an extra one in there because like there's so much lead time on these kind of things uh, that, that unless they're like, if they're going to keep something secret, it probably would have been, you know, the Vecna book or something. So I don't know what else it could possibly be, but it just, it's five books. I think this year, uh, 2023, they had six. Um, we talked about the, well, <laughs> interesting, you know, now that I say that out loud, one of the books that was coming out this year was the deck of many things, which, um, if you subscribe to the, uh, goblins and growlers, uh, goblin, goblin gazette newsletter, uh, that's monthly. Um, I, I had something in there about how, I, like I say that, like I broke the story. I saw something and repeated it, <laughs> uh, that, uh, they had to delay the publication of the deck of many things because of card quality, because nothing was flush, the art was off center and everything like that. So it went from what probably would have been a Christmas release to now it's not coming out until January 5th uh, in physical format. You can still get it digitally. Uh, it, it met the, the planned release window digitally, but not physically, which is a real bummer. But like, it's cool that they were like, oh, yeah, like we're not going to settle for the bullshit quality on this. But Anyway, I went off on a little uh, ramble there because uh, let, let's cast ourselves back a year ago when you and me and Noah were talking about the 2023 uh, release slate. We were very excited about it, if I recall. Um, and uh, just as, a, as an interesting exercise, I'll put a link to that in, at the top of the show notes in this episode. And you can go back and decide if we were on the mark or off the mark about any of this. But I bet we were probably pretty excited about Planescape, <laughs> if I had to guess. Um, but they had six things that were scheduled to come out. Very cool. This year they only had five. Um, there's some interesting stuff in here. You know, we'll talk about it a little more. Some of it feels a little bit like placeholders. Like, you know, think back to like when, when you know, before Marvel movies sort of became uh, a little bit, uh, I don't know, passe. Uh, before, you know, back pre-COVID, like, and you would have a year where you're like, oh man, that's really cool that these particular Marvel movies are coming out this year. And then the following year, it would be like one that you were really looking forward to. And then it would be like the Eternals or something else that you're just like, eh, this kind of feels like an also ran. This feels like oh, maybe a little bit like one of those off years. And I'm, I'm perfectly, uh, I'm going to be perfectly happy being proven wrong uh, over the course of the next 12 months. But, you know, we'll talk through some of these and, and share some opinions. I don't think any of these are bad, but I think what it is, is, uh, maybe I'm setting my standards a little artificially high. Maybe I'm looking at some of the coolest, the cool stuff that's coming out from like third party publishers and things like that. I'm very interested in all of these. There's, there's one that I'm really actually super interested in. Um, but it's nothing that's just hit me over the head with like, oh man, I got to get that. There is there is no planescape in here for me, I guess is what yeah. I'm getting at. I recall last year we were looking and we were like, Keys of the Golden Fault sounds really cool. Very excited to see what they do with planescape. Mm -hmm. uh, this book about giants might be interesting. Like mm -hmm. we, we were intrigued by everything and uh, very excited about a couple of things. And looking at this list, I don't, I'm a little curious about a couple of them. And then the rest, I'm like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I promise we'll stop like teasing and actually talk about <laughs> them in a minute. But like one thing, one thing I want to point out is there was a little bit of controversy uh, on the release dates for everything because it started off. Um, this was all right. So the way I understand the story, because again, I was upstairs when all this was going on. Right. But the way I understand it 
is during the presentation, no release dates were shown or anything like that. And then after the panel uh, and social media stuff started going out, um, images started going out with like release dates and stuff on them. Um, and for anybody watching us on video, um, one of them was this, and it was an image of the 2024 core rule books releasing May 21st, 2024. Now there's a couple things there. Now, first this happened. And afterward, uh, like a couple hours later, Wizards of the Coast redacted everything and Dicebreaker uh, reported that they got an email that said uh, product release dates for 2024 were erroneously posted on social media last week and were factually incorrect. We can confirm all products mentioned will release in 2024 with specific launch dates by product to be announced at a later date. So take from that what you will. I think it's interesting that they didn't that they that they said not only was it posted erroneously but they were factually incorrect like i guess they had to you know like they can't just if these are the actual release dates they can't just let that live out there like they've got to deny it but yeah i, I will not be surprised if we end up with these uh coming out on on the dates that they talked about so the second thing is that this says 2024 core rule books right um because what ended up happening is they revised it and they sent out a new one that didn't have a release date on it, but it instead said 2024 Player's Handbook. So it does sound like we're not getting the DMG and the Monster Manual for the updated core rules in 2024. It sounds like that might be a 2025 thing. Um, it's think, like, oh, go ahead. I think that's fairly typical, though. They usually will release the PHB a solid year or so before they release anything else in part because they want you to get the very, very basic rules and start messing with them before you start doing anything else. This does raise the question, what are they calling these core rule books? Are they 1D&D? Are they D&D next? Are they... Well, remember, they said that they weren't going to have a name for it. They said that 1D&D was just a uh, like a placeholder, which I think... I think everybody sort of understands is like that wasn't the case. They've sort of ret they've retconned that a little bit. They walked uh, it back. Yeah. But I, I mean, from a product perspective, it makes sense to me. Like, especially if they really want to do what they're saying and they want to make it a more iterative experience rather than like a big, you know, beginning and end of an edition. Uh, you know, they want to just keep adding to it. It's just I, like, I guess it makes sense to only release the player's handbook, if you've got an existing DMG and monster manual that are designed to work with it since it's iterative and not really like a quote unquote new edition. I guess like if this is all still compatible with five E, um, I suppose that works and isn't an issue at all. Yeah. It's just, it's just interesting because in that image, it was like, there were apparently two mistakes in it, according to them. Which which was weird, and um, I uh, En World has the had wrote wrote down all the dates, and it says you know the core rulebooks May twenty first. It also had Vecna Eve of Ruin on May twenty first, and I would be wildly surprised if all those came out at the same time. Maybe if it was a new edition that was being launched, and you wanted to have a campaign and the core rulebooks come out at the same time, maybe, 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 yeah, and then. Quest from the Infinite Staircase, July 16th, and the making of D&D book uh, on June 18th. And um, the the fifth book is missing from this list, but I believe it was like August or something like that. Somebody can tell me that I'm wrong on that, but which means there would be like no fall release or anything like that. So I kind of believe that these dates are wrong. I think they might have been some dates that just sort of got bandied around or something like that, or they're maybe deadline-oriented dates or something like that. That could be. I also, it seems odd to me, I think last year we were looking at six books, and then I think, if I recall correctly, that Dragon's book that you and I noticed much later, and we're like, what the heck is mm -hmm. this? Oh, it's an encyclopedia for dragons. Interesting. Mm -hmm. But we hadn't like made plans to read it, or buy it, or record anything about it, or any of that. Mm -hmm. I would not be shocked to find that there's two or three books like that this year where they're mm -hmm. not on they're not on the release schedule because they're not like the flagship titles for the year mm -hmm. my hope it's possible is that one or two of those will be a little more exciting than what we're currently seeing mm -hmm. because the the five that you've listed i'm not mm -hmm. 
the 2024 player's handbook, I feel like I've bought all the stuff that they've made the iterative changes in. Like I've got mm-hmm. Tasha's I've got the, what the multiverse monster book I've got, like, yeah, I've got all these books. I have them all. So the well, things that are going to be in the 2024 core rule book, th- unless they're bringing even more new stuff mm-hmm. is in theory, things I already have just in a variety of books instead of handily in one. Yeah. Now the, the stuff that I found that they specifically called out for in the 2024, and I'm sure I could find more nuggets of this if I went back through sort of every unearthed arcana that's come out in the last 18 months, but I'm not going to do that. But you know, the main thing, uh, was backgrounds replacing races. So, you know, we all knew that was coming. So that's not a surprise to anybody. Yep. And then, uh, one of the other bullet points that it called out was weapon mastery, uh, being included. Um, and I, didn't read into any details on that. And I'm admittedly not as informed on that development as I probably should be. But again, that sort of feels to me like a, like, let's find something else that we can put in a bullet point to talk about what the changes are. Right. Uh, and then they also pitched that there are, uh, there's going to be unique art for all 48 subclasses, uh, with, and it's going to have like full backgrounds and stuff like that for the art. Wow. Yeah. So, so that's cool, but I don't know if that's a thing that gets me to buy it. And then we already talked about, uh, you know, the DMG and the monster manual probably not coming out until 2025 because of that. And we've sort of danced around it a little bit. And I realize we've sort of organized this in sort of a piss poor fashion. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the five books are, you know, the, the new player's handbook, uh, Vecna, Eve of Ruin, uh, Quest from the Infinite Staircase, um, Descent into the Lost Caverns of uh, Shokanth. And the make the making of the original Dungeons and Dragons, nineteen seventy to nineteen seventy six, uh, and we'll sort of run through all of those. I am as we're chatting. I am tremendously curious because uh, I think this is probably going to be the one that's the most controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, the making of original Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. as I understand it from the things you've shared with me, this is going to be like letters. Mm-hmm between Gygax and Arneson and yeah, sort of like, sort of like uh, the, the Jefferson Adams correspondence, it feels like. And so we're going to be looking at a lot of their like design documents, basically, mm-hmm. and especially the mail that they sent to each other. That sounds neat, but I wonder if they're going to bronze over or gloss over some of the stuff that's less favorable mm-hmm. about Gary Gygax in specific, like him saying that men's and women's brains are wired differently and women can't enjoy games as a pastime in the same way that men can. Right. Yeah. And and in fact, actively discouraging his daughter from playing, even though she wanted to mm-hmm. and then painting it as she didn't like it because we didn't put enough like rainbows and ponies in there for her. And it's like, no, that's not my understanding of that situation. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's definitely something to think about. Uh, in terms of this, uh, you got to wonder what kind of intellectual honesty the company would have about that. Um, if it were me and I were a marketing professional, I would not include that, especially at because that guy's son uh, created quite a kerfuffle uh, based on views that were worse than that, I would say. Um, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to put a matter of degrees on anything, but, uh, I mean, like Ernie Gygax is, he says pretty terrible things. Oh, 100%. Um, you know, I think we're far enough past that. And Ernie is enough of an, an also ran and it doesn't matter anymore that, you know, they probably aren't super worried about him because the, the stuff he said was appealing to people that they didn't want as customers anyway. Right. Um, pr- I would probably put even money on them doing a lot of uh, historical cleansing and, and to, to, you know, the, the victors get to write the history kind of thing on this because like just the way, just the way the hobby is now, like there's like that kind of stuff's not going to fly. And I don't think they're going to put it in there uh, just because it wouldn't be a good move for them. What I would do and what I would personally appreciate if they did is Mm -hmm. highlight all of the like, fun and creative and interesting things that he did and anywhere Mm -hmm. that he was as inclusive as he ever was. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the book, be like, 
not everything that came out of Gary Gygax's mouth was highly intelligent, beautiful prose about game design. And sometimes he had some bad takes. And for historical accuracy, we've included those here. Warts and all is a great philosophy if you're trying to write an objective history of something that happened, you know, hundreds of years after the fact. They're advertising this as a retrospective historical account of the original D&D and its creation. (laughs) There is, um, like, talking about that, right? So let's talk about Thomas Jefferson for a minute. (laughs) Talking about... And talk about oh, uh, you know sort of your your warts and all um, theory of history, right? So um, there was uh, a famous Jefferson biographer named Fawn Brody, uh, who um, I believe in the in, in the sixties or seventies, she wrote um, a book called Thomas Jefferson and Intimate History, and it was really kind of the first warts and all biography of thomas jefferson that really went into like everything like hemmings and beyond uh because and and she was like excommunicated from like academia like jefferson academia because of that um she also wrote a really great biography of joseph smith which which literally got her excommunicated from the mormon church she was flying in the face of uh, Dumas Malone, who up to then was sort of the the primary and lauded Jefferson biographer of the time, but he was very much a Jefferson apologist, and nothing Jefferson ever did was ever wrong, and there was always a justifiable reason for everything, right? So, faced with those two perspectives on how to record history, where do you think the Wizards of the Coast is going to land as they write the definitive account of Gary Gygax so, <laughs> uh, and Dave Arneson. So I fully expect them to gloss over a lot of things and shove a lot of stuff mm-hmm. under the rug. And, oh, we're just going to... This this letter cuts off abruptly for some reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. But <laughs> it'll just be... It'll be bracketed and it'll just say redacted. <laughs> or it'll just... It'll... It'll look like a FOIA request from Project Blue Book. It'll have like three le- three words and everything else will just be black markered out or something <laughs> they're like, like that. They're like, the rest of this isn't really relevant to the current state of games. Mm-hmm. I personally, personally, mm-hmm. I think when it comes to stuff like this, I think it does require a little bit of lampshading mm-hmm. where they're like, hey, listen, it's a little bit of a different time. It's a little bit of a different perspective on the world at large. This is someone who had a lot of great ideas in some ways and some less great ideas in others. I respect that kind of historian work a lot more than I respect someone who's like, well, we're just not going to talk about that because it's not important to the story we're telling. Yeah. So you you are you are imagining they will take the approach or would like for them to take the sort of the Disney and Song of the South approach yes. where you're just like, here it is. It was a product of its time. We're not changing it, but we just want you to be aware. We we want you to be conscious that we are not currently proud of this. However, we also feel like it would be lying to omit it because it is a thing that happened. I like I personally don't think they'll include any of that stuff. And and I think and I think if you were to ask them why, they would say it's not relevant to what we were trying to do, because uh, some of the bullet points from the um, panel it uh you know the it's it's a hist- quote unquote historical perspective and a chronicle about the origins of the game and this is chris perkins describing it and it's going to have you know include the letters between gagax and arneson quote while well both of them were playtesting the system that would eventually become dungeons and dragons first incarnation i think it's going to be a lot of sort of technical stuff as they talk about game balance and they're going to be talking a lot about the war games that they were playing and the worlds that they're developing and things like that i think this is going to be a a not this is not going to be sort of a meta analysis of the birth of dungeons and dragons we're not going to be talking about social issues or or gygax and arneson's positions on social issues i think it's going to be sort of a very mechanical like here are some stories about the game not the guys who were making the game, but it is their stories about the game. That's what I think. That's fair. I think 
if the letters don't really contain anything in that vein, mm-hmm. then I think it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm still torn about it. I don't know. And they also said, they also said at the panel that the, like these, these letters have never been seen by the public before. So there's, I'm, I'm making this, I'm really making this sound like some sort of Pentagon papers kind of thing, but <laughs> there's no like independent verification of any of this. I'm not, I'm absolutely a hundred percent not saying that the letters aren't genuine. I know it sounds like I'm saying that what I'm, what I'm meaning is like, we don't know if, if none of the letters have ever been seen by the public, we don't know which ones won't be published then, you know, and or, it, or what details from them may be omitted. Yeah. Or edited or, or anything like that. So, right. So who knows? And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that that represents any kind of deception or malfeasance on that purpose, but more taking a core, the core of the truth and putting it out there and sort of refashioning it a little bit. So it fits better in, in sort of the modern era from a more modern perspective. I don't know how I feel about that because, you know, I, I've worked in journalism for 15 years and there's part of me that finds that sort of anathematic, but there's another part of me that's trying to look at it from a marketer's perspective, right? And it's like, if it doesn't, if it doesn't take away from the story to remove it and it actively hurts the brand to include it, asterisk, especially considering the last five years and issues that we have had, <laughs> uh, both in terms of gender identity um racism representation things like that like you really want to be like i mean you and i both have been like why can't you get your shit straight on this why do you keep making these same mistakes do we really have like can we really now turn around and say like well, you need to put that in there. You need to be honest about it. After we've been trying to give them business advice, that's like, be careful about what you're doing. I personally am of the opinion that when you're doing a historical perspective on something, Mm -hmm. if you are going to be true to the subject at hand, you include those grittier details. Mm -hmm. Because that is really how those people thought. That is really how those people acted. Mm -hmm. We should be willing to accept that our heroes had mud on them. Mm-hmm. They weren't perfect people 90% of the time. Th- they did some great things. Absolutely. And I think Gary Gygax and um, God, we just did this. Arneson. Dave Arneson. Dave Arneson. Dave Arneson. Thank you. Just for anybody listening, um, Josh kept referring to him as as Will Arnett earlier. <laughs> I, I said Will Arneson and Brandon was like, are you mixing up Dave Arneson and Will Arnett. And I was like, yes, yes, I am. Uh, Dave Arneson. Thank you, Brandon. Mm -hmm. I think if there's dirt in these letters that like is part of their design process where they're like, what do we think? Do we think women are going to play this game? I don't know. It doesn't seem like the sort of thing that would be, there's no girls to come into my game store and play Mm -hmm. the war games with us. So I don't see why women would be interested in this. I feel like, you should include that sort mm-hmm. of stuff because it is part of the history. And we as people should be willing to accept that well, people do great things. They can also do terrible things at the same time. And I think history is more interesting that way. And I'm not disagreeing with you. I just want to make it really clear that I'm talking about like what I think they will do. Oh, fair. Versus what I think they should do. Like I would fair. I would love to get all the original letters. I just don't think it's going <laughs> to happen because I don't think it moves the ball forward for them in terms of public relations and revenue. Fair. Fair. Um, well, we've spent a lot of time on one book. We have. And we have four but, more to go. But just to just to finalize a couple of things about that. Um, it's, uh, you know, like I said, a, rep- a retrospective historical account of the original D&D. That's what they're pitching it as. It's going to have original illustrations and notations from the original manuscript. Um, and Chris Perkins says that it's, it's essentially going to have a replica of the original D&D manual that's going to be footnoted with like uh, edit lines on it. So you'll see where they went and crossed out stuff. Uh, it'll have, and they're going to be using the original scans. Uh, so I can only imagine that there's sort of like a Vatican style library in Seattle where they have to go down into the basement and then the humidity is like very controlled and they've got all these original <laughs> pieces of paper and it's going to be like 500 pages too. So I would expect, I would expect this to cost probably 70, $80, probably, probably closer to a hundred. It's going to be like one of those sort of, 
uh, coffee table books that you sit down there and just try and make sure people see that you own. <laughs> yeah, 500 pages with a bunch of original D&D stuff in it. I will be intrigued to see this one. This is mm-hmm. one of the ones that I'm curious about genuinely. Yeah, I really hope that it's uh, an honest perspective and not like very glossy and pretty perspective. Yeah, this is the one that uh, of all the stuff that's coming out next year, this is the one that I really want to see. I really want to see how they did this because there's so many directions that this could go and so many spins on the story that this could take. Yep. And, and then setting setting that aside and just looking at it a, as a repository of, you know, some really cool old original notes, like that would be like, it's kind of on par with like when the original Apollo computer manual came out not too long ago and everybody thought that was such a cool collector's item. This is kind of the same way, except it's going to have, you know, a really nice art in it and a a mark and a big markup. (laughs) Yeah. It'll be fascinating to see what the original design process was like. Mm -hmm. Moving into our next item, descent into the lost caverns of, you called it Shokanth. I probably Sojkanth. It's very Klingon. Um, It's, (laughs) It is a tricky one to yeah. pronounce. It is T S O J C A N T H. So I think Sojkanth. Feel free to. I think Sojkanth is the way to pronounce it. Sojkanth does sound pretty correct. Mm-hmm. This is a old school dungeon crawl re-released for modern. Yeah, and it's got its origins in tournament play. It is a single session dungeon crawl originally, mm-hmm. um, but based on what I'm seeing, I would guess that they're expanding on that a bit and they're going to make it a full on module. Yeah, um, it it came out in 82 uh, and I read I was unfamiliar with it. Um, so I went and, and looked into it and I found a review of someone who had played it back in the day. And it was really interesting because it was... Um, like talking about the tournament play, you have to, there's a huge wilderness area that you have to go through in the original module just to get to the dungeon. And the, the writer, the writer uh, who reviewed the original that I was reading, he was like, yeah, because um, since it was a tournament game, the forest area, like the wilderness area existed to like create like longer periods of time, potentially for folks to actually reach the dungeon and start rolling through it. Um, this, it came out like originally before the monster manual. So one of the reasons people really liked this one is because it had like a really good selection of new monster stat blocks that people could incorporate. It was only a 32 page module that wasn't like nuts back then. That's like, no, I mean, that's, that's a fairly like standard size module back in the day, but I'm trying to imagine what they've done with it to modernize it that turns Mm -hmm. it from a 32 page module into something book size because they're $60 presume (laughs) 70 isn't it oh yeah you're probably right (laughs) so that should be very interesting Mm -hmm. uh to see what they've added to it to make it bigger and whether it feels like padding or not i believe it was only a two-level dungeon in the original module. So I would guess that they're probably going to add some levels to it. Um, and the interesting thing is like wargamer.com was reporting that it's going to have a complete, like it's going to have like a tournament style scoring system. So you can see how you fare. So I've never played D and D with that kind of system. Like I never, I never was part of it in sort of the tournament area, uh, era rather. So I don't actually know how that works. I would, you know, if somebody wants to chime in on the discord, uh, bit.ly slash goblin discord and, and talk about that, that would be awesome. But I imagine that there's point values assigned to like enemies killed and treasure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the reviewer of the original one also said that this was one that their group went back to a lot. So it seems like it's got replayability. So that's, I think I could see that. So that's, that's interesting. I think. And with the new one, it says that it's going because, you know, we're coming up on the anniversary year. Um, so it's the going to be the 50th anniversary of D&D. So like everything has to be seen through that lens. Right. That's why. Oh. That's why. That's why the Gygax Arneson book is coming out next year. Um, but it, it wouldn't matter what was released this year. We would have there would be something would be tying it into the 50th anniversary. Right. So uh, they were saying that this is going to be 
part of, quote, like multiple events that celebrate play. So that makes it sound like there's going to be like more events. Like maybe this will be some sort, maybe this will be like some sort of AP for 2024, like a competitive AP that people play on, 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 uh, adventurers guild or adventurers league nights. I could see that. I could see that. And then, and I mean the fact, and like wizards could have like leaderboards and stuff on there that the game stores submit. Right. The fact that it's got a scoring system, I think is kind of fascinating. Mm -hmm. I, I know adventurers league has like very strict rules of play. Mm Mm-hmm. I have to imagine this will as well, mm-hmm. um, because if you're going to be scoring it, then you can't have people coming in with, you know, third party content characters and just completely breaking the module. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. No mystics. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even even Wizards of the Coast turned their back on the mystic. Yeah, um, I don't I don't want to read through the entire original module introduction. Um, But I do kind of want to cover a few of these highlights because it seems like a fascinating story from the standpoint of like what they've written. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's all about like this archmage who is taking over the lands around her abode Mm -hmm. and she's summoning demons to really like make things happen for her. And then one of them breaks loose and she's like, ah, you know, yeah, you know, a, a miscalculation. And then she goes and like retreats into this dungeon. And that's where the party is going to end up trying to like break into mm-hmm. to put a put a final end to all of this madness. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm not I'm not really sure I have an opinion on this. Honestly, I'm really going to have to like sort of see what all the details are on it. Like as we get closer to it coming out and it actually coming out, I'm interested because I like a good dungeon crawl. And like, you know, ever since I, ever since I played that one, um, OSR, like first edition, essentially game that I played, um, pre COVID it's, it's the difference between then and now I've, I've always found really interesting because, um, it was like, everything was really just more of a roguelike back then and i wonder if this is going to have that same kind of flavor it's supposed to have sort of the the old school first edition flavor so i would love to see if it's something where like okay so you go through the wilderness and you get to the dungeon and then you run out of stuff so you're gonna have to go back out into the wilderness back to the town restock and maybe that's where the replayability comes from right like you go as far as you can and then you can't reprovision anymore or anything, and you have to come back out. But of course, magic works differently now than it did 50 years ago. So who knows? True. Who knows? It's, I'm wondering if the whole concept is that you're not allowed to, once you get to a certain point, you're not allowed to take a long rest. Mm-hmm. Like the dungeon prevents it. Yeah. And once you like run out of spells, et cetera, if you decide to retreat from the dungeon to go go back to town and re- reprovision, mm-hmm. that's when you get scored. Like that's, that's your run. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Um, I just, I, the replayability I think is going to come from a lot of how the dungeon runs and how you navigate the wilderness outside of it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like speed running, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's random encounter kind of factors that go into it that make it so that you're like, oh, you know what? Like, I feel like I could have scored better if I hadn't rolled a nine during the first combat encounter and ended up spending like four rounds fighting a goofball kind of monster on the way in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's totally valid. Like I, I just, we just don't, we just don't know. Like, I think, I think if, uh, I think this would be a prime candidate for them to release one of their tie in board games, uh, like they've done for a couple of other properties, uh, that, that can work independently of the module, but can also, be used as part of it maybe yeah yeah that that could be cool Mm -hmm. but it all depends on what it is right like i I think that works if it's if it's really kind of a a dungeon crawl focused which i have to imagine that it is since it's you know the descent into the lost caverns (laughs) uh so that's what it has to be be there this will be their second descent into Mm -hmm. game uh although i guess this is the first and then the second is avernus yeah 
I think it's interesting reading the intro to the original module, like the beginning of the second paragraph. It says, these experiments were her downfall. For during for during one, she accidentally freed the demon Grazit, G-R-A-Z apostrophe Z-T, whom she had imprisoned and forced into servitude. Clearly, that's Drizzt's uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Grand grandfather Drizzt. Mm-hmm. Grazit. Caswin. <laughs> hey, listen, I have been known to use a couple of Z's in names here and there. Because they put everybody to sleep. <laughs> All right. So anyway, this one will be this will be interesting. I, I am interested in this one, but I sort of uh reserve my decision on whether or not it's something I'm actively gonna seek out until I know a little bit more about it. Cause I think it could go in a lot of ways. And one of the things I'm realizing about myself over the last like year and a half, two years of, of D&D releases is like, I have these ideas that I'm like, oh, wow, this could be really awesome if they did this. And then they they take uh, a bit more, I don't necessarily want to say like a safer path, but like, because nothing like nothing I was talking about was like revolutionary or risky or anything like that. But they just take they take more of a path of least resistance in terms of getting something out and releasing it to people, which is a fine strategy. A conservative approach, not from a political stance standpoint, but from a like actually the definition of the word where it's like you're keeping things in reserve. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you're 100% correct. And you and I have both done this multiple times. Uh, in fact, recently, I recall being like, oh, the Fandelver book. I bet that it's like this and then it's like that. And then this is over here. And it's all great. And you're like, well, <laughs> yeah, well, it is. But you but the, the first four chapters are going to seem mighty familiar to you. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, so next up is uh, Vecna, Eve of Ruin. Um, and uh, obviously, uh, this is a campaign that revolves around Vecna, the Lich God. Uh, what? No way. Yeah. Um, uh, the the thing I thought was strange about this, uh, no pun intended, one of the stranger things about this release uh, is that it's happening now and it didn't happen last year. That is a little bit of a, a question mark, isn't it? I, f- I feel I like wonder, the iron was hotter last year for Vecna stuff. I wonder if they were like, oh, hell yeah, we got to get this done. Mm-hmm. And then they started working on it and it ended up being a lot more complex than they had hoped. I'm betting, I'm betting is that they did not expect Stranger the Stranger Things trained to keep rolling and keep, you know, Vec- and put Vecna back in, you know, sort of a pop culture space. And they're like, oh, we should probably do something with Vecna. Uh, but these things always take a long time to put together. So maybe maybe that's what it was. But uh, it's going to take let characters go all the way from level one all the way up to level 20. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be one of those campaigns that rarely ever gets finished. <laughs> How what was the level range on Rime of the Frostmaiden? I have that book in my house, but it's so far away from me right now. I don't remember. Um, Wasn't it like four to like 16 or something like that? Um, That would be really weird. Um, I'll look it up if you want to vamp for a minute. Okay. Uh, well, it's, I mean, Vecna, we're going to be talking about the Lich God. So that I could see that being very intriguing, but we also don't have a lot of details yet for this one. This is one of the ones they didn't spend a lot of time talking about. Okay. It's, uh, uh, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, uh, was first to 12th. Oh, yeah. So I had. I had the right range mm-hmm. of levels, just the wrong level. Right. <laughs> I guess if I want to be super technical, all that the um, product material said was it will take characters up to level 20. So I suppose it could be 10 to 20 or or something like that. Uh, Fair. Yeah. So there's there's a cap, but no floor necessarily that we know about. And man, how how mad are you going to be if it's like 16 to 20? <laughs> That will not be worth my money, <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> uh, but I will, I will say just uh, when I while you were talking and I was uh, googling to find the rhyme of the Frost Maiden levels, I accidentally typed Prime of the Frost Maiden, which really, Ooh. which really wants makes me want to incorporate Transformers somehow <laughs> into an Icewind Dale <laughs> campaign. Uh, he he gave his life for our sins. 
<laughs> um, so they're also saying that Vecna Eve of Ruin is going to be sort of a tour of the multiverse of D&D. So sticking with what appears to be their embrace now of the multiple game worlds that they have. Well, and that's interesting because I saw that and I was like, oh, well, like Vecna before he became Vecna was like supposed to be some sorcerer from Greyhawk. So I wonder, like, does this presage a a Greyhawk release in 2025? Um, Is it going to be opening the door to something like that? Are you like as part of this? Are you going to be going to different parts of different game worlds? Not really sure how that tour of the multiverse works in this. The only thing I could think of was that Greyhawk connection. I have to wonder if it's going to include any of the stuff that's in the Planescape books. Oh, I'm probably given, given, you know, I I'm sure they want people to link things together and use them all as one big picture. Mm -hmm. Everything's connected. It's all connected. Yeah. You just got to get the red string running from one to the other. Mm -hmm. And you know, like I think, I think my opinion is, you know, relatively well known on stuff like this. Um, I feel like the average, the average group of D and D players plays together about six times before everything falls apart. So it takes a real special group to play something to, to like to play through a full campaign. And I just really feel like, and maybe I'm alone in this. Like maybe, maybe I'm just, I can only speak from my own experience and from talking to other people who play. And it's like, I have, I would never be able to play through all of this. I would never be able to play through all of Curse of Strahd because it just there's just so much of it and it takes so long. Um, you know, the flip side, and we'll talk about one of these in a minute, is you know they release those anthology books as well, which are sort of, you know, there's no such thing as a one shot, but they're geared toward you know shorter adventures and things like that. And for me, like I feel like that would be the way to focus releases, give people more things that they can use and use up in a year. So then when next year comes around, they're ready to buy your next thing that they can use and use up instead of like Vecna. That's gr- probably going to be great, but it's also probably going to be sitting on people's shelves um, most of the time and not getting played. But, you know, a lot of people just buy the books for the flavor and then they incorporate that stuff into their own stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, an interesting little bit of you. Oh, go ahead. You added a bullet point here for hit point press Hecna. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's just sort of a little interesting bit of trivia is uh, I was on Saturday uh, afternoon slash early evening. I was at the hit point press booth and they're one of their big um, marquee releases. And for people who don't know, hit point press are the Humblewood people. And, you know, pick up Humblewood if you haven't. I actually apologized to them that I waited until they sold irregular copies of the book for $5 before I bought one. And they're like, no, don't worry about it. You helped us clear them out of the warehouse. <laughs> it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It was just like the colors were off a little bit and there were some alignment issues. Um, and there were a couple of misprints that they corrected with a sticker in the front of the book. But I, I've seen them on sale now for like $5 and $10. Pick up a, a copy of Humblewood on sale. It's a beautiful hardcover, even though it's irregular. But anyway, their big marquee release this year is called Hecna with an exclamation point. And it's, um, I talked to, I talked to one of their, um, one of their people about it. And he was describing it to me because the cover of it, it's got, you know, sort of like a Harlequin, Harlequin clown mask situation going on. And I was getting real Kefka from Final Fantasy VI vibes. And I said that to the guy. He's like, well, you're not far off, actually, because <laughs> it's essentially like a demiplane carnival. And uh, Hecna is the boss of it. And it's supposed to be like comedy horror, but more like sort of a dark comedy horror kind of situation interesting yeah i really encourage people to go to hit point press and check it out i did not buy a copy of it while i was there i bought a lot of stuff while i was there but this wasn't it and but as we were leaving philadelphia like i just kept thinking like i should have bought heck and then when i went to the hit point press site earlier today um to look up a couple things i was like oh man this this is actually really cool because like in my initial thought was like well that seems a lot like the um the uh, Demi Plains Ravenloft book that came out because it had a car- right. it had a carnival in it as one of the yeah. one of the sort of the milieus of it. But this is the like the whole book. Um, 
and it 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 just looks it looks really cool. I would I would encourage everybody to check it out. I am going to get a copy of it, um, and we'll probably talk about it because I just think it's it's a it's a, looks really fun. Uh, art's really good. Uh, it looks like it's it's you know, the kind of story I like that's like serious but doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, Makes sense. But anyway, getting back to my point, uh, I was talking to the guy about Hecna, and he was like. Uh, I was like, oh yeah, I was like, yeah, I guess you, I guess you market tested that name <laughs> and you, you know, you thought it would work. He's like, yeah, you know, Vecna is, Vecna is really popular these days. And then right then, like Noah, who was standing beside me, like has his phone out and he just holds it up to me and the guy and wizards had just tweeted out the, the Vecna Eve of Ruin announcement, <laughs> like concur, like as it was being announced downstairs in the panel, they were doing it live. And the guy was just like, huh. <laughs> But I mean, <laughs> like there had been rumors that the Vecna game, that the Vecna book was coming out for a while anyway. So like nobody was really surprised. I just thought the timing was really interesting and fun there. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh but my God. since we were doing, since we're doing all this talk about wizard stuff and I looked back at our recent episodes, we've been talking a lot about wizard stuff. I wanted to make sure and give a fulsome endorsement of some third party content while we were, <laughs> while we were here. Hell yeah. And then um, the last book, cause really we already ran the, 2024 player's handbook into the ground, even though that's technically the next thing on our list. Um, the, eh. the next one is uh, quest from the infinite staircase, which uh, is the latest in uh, the latest entrant into wizards, like noun from the adjective noun series of anthology <laughs> books journey, like journey to the radiant citadel <laughs> quests from the infinite staircase keys of the golden vault. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> back uh, back in the early 2000s, the late 90s, of my a friend of mine, also named Josh, was really big into uh, like uh, Vampire the Masquerade, White Wolf stuff, and they came out with so many um, different games for that. Um, like you know, I can't remember any of them, but it was all, it all followed like the same format of like creature colon the evocative noun is what we started calling it because like vampire the masquerade you know werewolf the something or other changeling the some such thing so josh just took to calling them creature the evocative noun and and that's what that's what these uh these wizards anthologies are, are shaping up to be because they all have that same kind of nomenclature so ridiculous uh, uh candlekeep mysteries is one that that didn't have that but um i had actually forgotten that's a, fair i'd forgotten about the one you meant the keys to the golden vault um but <laughs> that's yeah that that's anthology heist right yeah so this is going to be um closer to tales from the yawning portal there's another one uh noun from the uh gerund noun uh, <laughs> uh, as both are collections of classic adventures that have been updated to fifth edition rules. Um, so this is going to be, you know, essentially what I was complaining about a few minutes ago. Like it's going to be those, you know, quote unquote one shots, which are probably more like three to six shots uh, that you and your group can play through. Um, I did not see, and it may just be because I missed it, any kind of indication of what classic adventures that were in there and had been updated. I'm at, I, I suspect that list isn't out yet because I looked a lot and I would have found it uh, somewhere from some reputable organization if it were there. Um, They're probably keeping that fairly close to their chest for this moment. Yeah. But, you know, it's it, it, I just thought of this, but, you know, it's interesting doing, you know, doing an anthology like that, um, getting around, like, how much, like how much lost work is that for freelancers, freelance content creators, because they're doing that. I mean, somebody has got to edit it, but, and somebody has got to update it and everything, but they probably have, they probably have some people in house to do that, but they probably do contract a lot of that out. Um, yeah. But as I was looking at the list of books that were coming out, I was like, what the hell? Like, why are we getting all of these? Like, Oh, let's, wander back into the archives and pull something blow the dust off an old tome and mm -hmm. bring it out to a fresh new day and i i had missed the memo that it's the 50 year anniversary and so that's why when you were like oh yeah it's 50 years of tnd i was like oh yeah but on the flip side of that uh it does look like there's not really a release this year that gave a lot of prominence to freelance writers um like folks who are who are looking to sort of let their star shine a little brighter um you know and what what was it was it candlekeep mysteries 
No, it wasn't Candlekeep Mysteries. It was one of the it was one of the anthology ones where we had that those issues with like uh, colonialism and uh, the writer whose uh, like eight thousand word draft was like cut down to like five thousand. Oh, yeah. yeah, that actually no, you're. I think you're right. I think that was not Candlekeep Mysteries. I think that was. Um, Journey to the Radiant Citadel. No, it wasn't Journey to the Radiant Citadel because Journey to the Radiant Citadel was the one that was released in response to the other controversies. That's right. Are we certain it wasn't Candle? It might have been. Then? It might have been. I don't want to. I don't want to get. I don't want to get too sidetracked on this. But anyway, because my no, 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 my no. point ultimately is that like, yay, fiftieth anniversary, boo, not being able to showcase new writers and new content and original ideas. It is my hope that as they were looking at some of these archived adventures and figuring out how to modernize Mm -hmm. them, they were bringing in freelance writers to do some of that work. Yeah. Because, you know, all of those classic adventures, so far as I'm aware, were written by what we would today consider stuffy, bearded white guys. Yeah. Um, And so if we were able to bring some diversity into kind of change the lighting so to speak Mm -hmm. i think that'd be really cool i don't know that we did that uh but it'd be neat if we did (laughs) now you know there are some new elements to this though because uh, even though it's it's like updating a lot of old adventures for fifth edition um they're like apparently these are going to be tied together somehow they're going to be like some thematic elements that are tying it together and quote one of which is a cosmic being who's completely new to the DD canon end quote and that's according to wizards um so almost like some sort of like watcher type figure that's going to be like tying all this stuff together probably some probably some extra planar cosmic sort of being there'll be some planescape or spell jammer connection i'm sure with this um but the infinite staircase apparent is is a well-known according to this i had not heard of it before but that just might be because i lived under a rock a well-known bit of architecture that allows adventurers to traverse the multiverse after Candlekeep Mysteries and Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel, quote, we're optimistic about another anthology series. I think, like, I, I love the anthology series. I think they're the way to go. I think they're the most cost-effective way for someone to get a large library of modules and stuff to run if you're just buying the the Wizards of the Coast stuff. Obviously, there's tons of stuff out there from awesome third-party writers and publishers that you should check out. Um, but if you're looking to get an official book because it looks nice on with your other official Wizards of the Coast D&D books on your shelf, uh, you get the best bang for your buck if you get some of these anthology books, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot easier to adjust, manipulate and maneuver these anthology adventures than it is to rip a section out of a full campaign mm-hmm. and be like, I'm adapting. Mm-hmm. this." Yeah. So that's um, that's kind of the long and short of the uh, announcement for the 2024 slate. Like, you know, get, getting sort of back to what we were talking to at the beginning. I don't want to go on too long because we've been almost an hour at, at this point. But like, there's nothing bad here. There's nothing that I can really sit here and like criticize, you know, just on the face of it. There was just like nothing that made me just really leap out and be like, oh, that's awesome. You know? Yep. Yeah. Reading through the list, there was nothing that I like found myself on the edge of my seat being like, what is that going to be? Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, that sounds so cool. Yeah, like I would have loved to see a, like a, a real, a true like Ravenloft box set. Like, uh, cause my big complaint about curse of Strahd was that, well, my big complaint was that it was in a book, not a box, but that's my complaint with a lot of things. <laughs> but you know, we didn't get, it wasn't like real, Ravenloft like uh because it it was only one demiplane like and, and you didn't get all the others like you would have bef- like you did in the old box set which I have behind me uh and I actually pulled out the other day and was amazed at all the different little bits and bobs that came with it all the the pers- the three-quarter perspective maps everything like that um that was my disappointment when Curse of Stride came out and then of course they released the other demiplane's book um but like I want to see all that stuff together i want one big ravenloft setting box set i would have loved that i feel like too after having spelljammer come out what last year and planescape come out this year 
it's really kind of a letdown not to have a new set like new. I was about to say new, but it's not new. But a a a revived setting, classic setting, come out this year. I feel like having two in a row, they they kind of set the bar a little high for themselves. I'm not gonna lie, when when I realized that it was a 50th year anniversary, I was like, where's the Greyhawk book? Exactly. That's the other reason I was thinking that maybe the Vecna release ties into a Greyhawk release or something. Could be. Yeah. Could be. I mean, the fact that it is a tour of the multiverse, though, mm-hmm. means it is at best a Greyhawk tie-in, not a Greyhawk book, which if you're going to go the direction of Spelljammer, of Planescape, of things like that, we would really want to see a Greyhawk book. Mm-hmm. Um, there is not not that I think it's for sure going to happen, mm-hmm. but there is a non-zero chance that Quest from the Infinite Staircase includes an updated version of Earthshaker. Yeah, I would love that. Which would be very yeah. cool. Um, real quick before I forget, I looked it up. Greyhawk came out in 1980, so next year would be its 44th anniversary um so maybe we see greyhawk in 2025 for a 45th like it's either that or it's wait five more years to do a 50th we'll (laughs) we'll definitely get a greyhawk release at 50 years if we don't see one before then but i would put money on 40 in 2030 god but um you're talking about earthshaker and uh, that made me think again about uh, something that happened at PAX, and I can I can close with this, but uh, it was it was interesting because I got to go to um, uh, an event that had uh, some creators and stuff that were there, and I got to meet Keith Baker, and that was really cool, um, the creator of Eberron, and uh, it was <laughs> it was kind of funny because uh, he was wearing a black cowboy hat and a white tie but the tie had LEDs all over it. So he brought his own mood lighting to everything. <laughs> um, but was, uh, I didn't, it's not like I hung out with him or anything like that. We shook hands and chatted for a minute, but it was very cool. Very nice guy. And then I talked to some guys and this isn't like me meeting anybody or anything like that. But I was talking, I was at one of the booths at, uh, the th- I think it might've been Ragnarok press or something like that. Um, They've got, uh, you know, obviously a very Viking-inspired kind of game. But I noticed um, Ed Greenwood on a couple of the books. like, And I was like, what? And they were like, yeah, yeah. Uh, we actually connected with him. And he said he thought our city was really cool. So he wrote the city guide for us. Like, he wrote this, like, multi-hundred-page city guide. There are, like, multiple volumes for it. Because apparently the volume I was looking at was only, like, the market district of the city. Uh, it, like it's it's wild. Like I once I find that business card, uh, I'm going to get some copies of this stuff so we can talk about it because it's just wild how detailed the city was. Uh, but anyways, you know Ed Greenwood, the creator of the Forgotten Realms, and I was I, so I ended up just talking to this dude and just be like, "What you mean? Just like he saw your stuff and he was like, that's cool. Can I write for you guys?'" And he was like, "Yeah, believe it or not." <laughs> oh my god, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah, it really is. It really is. <laughs> But yeah, you know, it was like, all, you know, so it was cool. It was cool to meet uh, Keith Baker at that event. That was that was pretty neat. Like, I, I've never actually played a campaign in Eberron, but it was, you know, a, a very like it was basically the fourth edition setting. And it really like set the tone for a lot of that. And it included a lot of sort of like like steampunk magic type of stuff, which is really cool. Um, and, you know, he won a contest. To, to get it published so i thought that was pretty awesome um so anyways that's uh that's our uh touch base on the 2024 release schedule for uh dungeons and dragons um i think i'll probably get more excited about some of this stuff as we get closer to it and actually get some release dates because like like i said i'm not disinterested in any of this there was just nothing that was just sort of hitting me over the head with it you know um so we'll see We'll see. And there's, you know, Wizards has uh, some other cool stuff coming as well um, outside of these. So there's there's plenty to look forward to. Um, but I felt like this was sort of a better way to spend our time than talking about Tales of the Valiant today, just because it was such a recent thing that came out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and we'll still get around to that. 
I've I've still got thoughts. Mm-hmm. It just you know it might be a little bit yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we will. Um, gosh, what are we talking about next time, Josh? Do we know that yet? Uh, you know what? I haven't looked at the master list of episodes. Maybe. So I don't know for a hundred percent. Maybe. Maybe we should learn our lesson and not commit to talking about something. <laughs> um, it's all it's all an illusion until we commit something to the audio. Yeah. Um, all right, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk about something. I believe, isn't that episode coming out on Christmas Day? Uh, yes, that episode is coming out on Christmas Day. So if uh, if you really don't want to spend that much time with your family or you want to get away from them for a little under an hour, mm-hmm. uh, then we, we will have something for you because we are planning to have a release that day. We'll talk to everybody in a couple of weeks. Uh, I hope uh, if we don't catch you on Christmas Day, I hope everybody has a great holiday uh, and... Uh, We'll we'll be back soon. And in the meantime, uh, telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about the Goblins and Growlers podcast. Because why, Josh? Why is that that they should tell friends? Because word of mouth is king. Exactly. Exactly. Luda. And (laughs) Luda. Yeah. And uh, that's the best way for us to get the word out about the podcast and leave us five star reviews on your podcatchers of choice. If you don't want to leave us a five star review, tell us why instead of giving us a one-star review. Like maybe, may, one of the things I like to talk about uh, in my capacity as a management professional is the importance of communication when there are disagreements. And I think if you disagree with something that we've said or just the way we're doing things or the way we look, you should just talk to us about it and we'll see if there's something we can do, like wear a mask. <laughs> So reach out to us on the Discord, bit.ly slash Goblin Discord. I'm on Instagram at Way of Brandalore. And uh, I've got all kinds of fake accounts that are trying to follow me because I've started posting more frequently. So be a real person and be my friend on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be a real person. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, if uh, you don't mind getting uh, a helpful little email once a month, sign up for the uh, Goblin Gazette. Uh, it is the monthly newsletter that has uh, sort of a TLDR and in case you missed it on our podcasts, uh, got some solid news items from around the TTRPG world and recommending uh, indie games and stuff like that. I imagine from my three days at PAX, I'm going to have a lot of stuff to start filling that newsletter up with. Um, Hell yeah. yeah. So we'll talk to you all later. Everybody have a good one. Bye, y'all. Bye. like what you hear consider subscribing and giving us a review over on apple podcasts especially early in the feed subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way thank you hey listener it's me zero time all-star trevor may from MCA Media, the ultimate destination for discussions about tech, gaming, content creation, and everything in between. I just wanted to pop in and let you know two very important things. One, you smell incredible today. Two, the May Contain Action Network now has an ever-expanding catalog of great shows, like the D&D-centric Forgotten Pass, Goblins and Growlers, and Quid Pro Roll, or the phenomenal Fortnite podcast Invaulted, hosted by Squatting Dog. Give them a listen, level up your podcast game, and have some fun. Shows are linked in the show notes.